Well, my name is uh, Jim Tui, and I guess this morning it's Jim Substitui. <laughs> Where's the drummer? Where is he when you need him, right? Um, it's about 13. I got to tell you something. How I, how I, I met Len and Betty at, at, at the Vineyard Church, uh, this, I think it was just about a year ago, right? Yeah, about that. And it was interesting, we started talking, and um, I'm from a place called Thunder Bay, and uh, it's right between the middle of nowhere and where is that. And um, so it turns out that Len and Betty had actually pastored there, and I'd actually pastored in Thunder Bay as well. We actually knew some people, got to know each other. Long story short, you know, I, I connected really deeply with Len. Len's a very gifted guy, as you probably know. And our strengths just really fit together really well. And I find that whenever we get together, three things happen. Number one, we'll throw in any kind of topic out. So that invitation for coffee that's up there, take him up on it. Because he'll take any topic or on your mind and he'll just help you get such clarity. The second thing that happens is I go there with the intention of just... You know, I'm going to just do Len a favor and just ask some questions and just listen. And I end up doing all the talking. (laughs) And number three is God always shows up. They're great when you just go for coffee and God just kind of shows up. And you have that feeling that you really know each other. Len stepping into uh, and taking you through a transitional time. There's, There's sort of those eight big areas that you take a church through. And if you were really a pastor and looking at those eight things, it's almost like, am I a pastor of this or a pastor of that or a pastor of this? Because they're all specializations. And you could not only just specialize in one area, but you could take subsets of each one of those areas and specialize in those. And Len and I were talking about um, a re- revisioning or revisiting our vision. And I just come alive. Len recognized something in me, and he said, would you be interested in coming alongside of us? And I just went, oh, that's like my candy, right? And I said, I'd love to do that. And so it's my honor to be here this morning. And I want to, yeah, it's my honor to be here. Speaking of Thunder Bay, uh, they get a lot of snow. I've taken pictures of where the snow was last Sunday. Right? And I've been taking a picture every day. And I'm about to send it to all my friends in Thunder Bay from winter to spring in seven days. Right? <laughs> I'm going to kill you, Jim. I'm going to kill you. Um, and uh, speaking of which, I was 13 years old. It was a really snowy day. In fact, it was a snow day. Woo! Right? We all know what that was like. We got, got a couple last week. and um, I was 13 years old. And my dad was a, a cop overseeing young offenders. <clears throat> Just kind of laying out some foreshadow there. <laughs> and I remember he always used to give me these encouragements. And the one encouragement he gave me is, is if I catch you hopping cars or hear about it, you'll be wearing a size 10 on your backside. All right? Okay, Dad. Well, Thunder Bay is a fairly big city, and it's all sprawled out. <laughs> What's the chances, right? So my friends and I, we get together... And um, kids, I want to tell you something you should never do, right? You should never have someone walk across the street slowly when a bread truck is coming. So the rest of you can go behind and grab onto the bumper and go for a ride. You should never do that. And it's really fun. 
<laughs> it's really fun. And what's going to happen, right? It's only a bread truck, and there can only be another vehicle right behind him that slides right into the back of it, and that's the end of your life. But anyway, so we're going down the road, and I'm having just a blast of my life. We're all laughing, and I just look over to my right as we're going past the street, and there's my dad sitting in an unmarked car. <laughs> Which begs the question, is the life I'm living worth what I'm giving up to have it? <laughs> Technically speaking, I am still grounded. So, Father God, and on that note, Father God, I thank you for this morning, and I, I thank you for this wonderful thing that you engage us in, in our lives. It's wonderful and beautiful. Oftentimes, we can get drawn up into it, enveloped in it, and we, we felt that this morning, and um, sometimes I don't even have the language to articulate it. When you call us, Lord, you... you you blessed us um, in a way where you gave us a purpose, a meaning, a why, a mission for our life. And it doesn't mean that we're always going to engage it. And Lord, what we want to do is, as Crossroads is, is going through a time of transition, and they're, and they're going to be looking fairly soon for another person or a couple that will be part of, of leading them you know, where you're taking them, Lord, where you're taking this whole body. I pray, God, they would stop and pause and really connect to who they are. And when we talk about mission or vision and values, Lord, not the ones that we write on paper, but the ones that we're, we're feeling deep inside, our, our longings, our yearnings, uh, what makes us really come alive. What's happening? Uh, I pray, God, that you will roll things back and just open our eyes up to see that this morning. Uh, and I ask this in Jesus' name. Lord, I know my lips will be flapping and my gums will be moving, but I pray it's your Holy Spirit that's talking. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm really happy to be here. I, I love this stuff. The one thing I can say is I'm absolutely going to enjoy my message this morning. <laughs> so... Um, actually, I need my, if I can get my water bottle there. Jim? Yeah. Move my mic up a little. Okay. How's that? Ooh. Ooh. Clarity. Well, a little overview we're going to talk about today. We're going to just look at a biblical example. So when I talk about why, um, just pulling something from the Bible that can just really easily define it. Oh, that's what you mean. We're going to look at alignment, and by what I mean when I say that is when we're living, are we in alignment with our why or out of alignment? And we're going to look at that in some of the subtle ways that occurs. What, what you experienced this morning up here in the worship team, and there's a few people, you can well, actually know, I think everyone, they're in alignment. You can see they're doing what they're meant to do. Thank you. I, I just, that just really blessed me. We're going to look at how, does, how do you sort of shift into your why? We found that when you um, live congruently with your purpose and your calling, things start changing in your life, and there are some shifts that take place. You will never feel more alive. I'll tell you that much. Drifting from your why. That's super normal. Anyone, anyone ever feel like they've drifted from their why? Does anyone notice whatever happens to you? Between one Sunday and all of a sudden you come back, Sunday goes, wow, I kind of, hmm. <laughs> so, you know, it doesn't take long, does it? 
We're going to look at uh, why it takes two. We're going to look at a special relationship that happens between you engaging God on your purpose and your calling and also bringing that and clicking into a community that is also working to engage its why. It's really a symbiotic relationship. The most powerful moments in your life are probably times when your purpose was able to find an alignment and an expression in a place that was also carrying out a very worthy cause. See, I've never just served at a Bible camp. Yeah, I did, and I love it. I love Bible camps, and I'm an evangelist at heart, and it's really hard to just find places to stand up and start talking to people. You know what I mean? I can't go up to individuals necessarily. It takes me a while, but throw me in a, in a, in a group of strangers, and I can just spout off. And, and there I was, and this camp was on its game. And it didn't matter if you were talking to the, um, the kitchen staff or the groundskeepers or hosting or the counselors, or program, it didn't matter who you were talking to, everyone found a way that their purpose clicked in. And they loved the greater purpose that this camp provided. And uh, Noah, <laughs> sorry, just recognized someone. <laughs> Easily distract. Meanwhile, back after that commercial break, just going back. But I, I remember being there, and do you know, I, bef- here's how it happened. I, I remember, um, um, you know, I, I was taking a break from ministry, and in a sense, and um, I was working full time, I was drumming in a worship team. Great drummer, by the way, this morning. I really appreciated it. And uh, yeah, let's get him up, eh? There he is, easily distract. And, um, and so I was drumming, and, um, you know, devotions, and, and going to church. And then I went to this camp, and just as I went through the gates, just something woke up inside of me. And I just caught on to the vibe in the place and was like, <gasps> it was like waking out of a deep sleep. And I just suddenly, I thought I was doing so well, and all of a sudden I thought, I'm really, wow, God, I've, been, I've not been training, God, I've not been engaging. I, I've been getting by, but I haven't been. And... Uh, and I, just, and I just wanted to be part of it. Their clarity and their vision was just so clear and it was so exciting. Something unique about this camp, 75 to 80% of their clientele, non-church backgrounds. Right? And, uh, you know, and people are getting saved. The Holy Spirit's crashing into the place. All this, most of the staff there have been saved through this camp. Thousands of lives impacted. I never would have become anything close to what I became through that place without them. God bless them for their heroics and their desire to engage God on a vision. And you could still walk in and just see the picture in 1956, Harold and Bob, and they got that little shovel in the ground, they turn it over. And I'm being blessed. Did you know you could feel it as soon as you came through the gates? And I'd like to tell you something this morning, and I'm not messing with you. I felt it when I came through the doors this morning. You got something. Worship team, you got the real thing. 
it engaged me and it woke me up. And when I saw what God was doing with people's lives, I felt really convicted in a good way. It's, it's, it's painful. I want to say it hurts, but really good. And I thought, what have I been, what have I been doing with my life? I've been living for myself. Like this, When I'm talking about vision, when I'm talking about re-engaging and reconnecting, this is what I'm talking about. And and we're going to look at that. And then we're going to do a little audit. In this audit, there's no pass or fail, except for one. The pass is this, that when you do this audit, you're honest. If you go through that audit and you're honest, you've won. Because when we're not honest with things like that, we absolutely and perfectly solve the wrong problem. We want to deal with the right one. Um, one of the things I'm involved in is a transitional leadership network. If we can go to the next slide. Uh, yeah, right there. And we know that revisioning or revisiting your vision is so, is so important. Is this sliding down again, eh? This guy. Can I get some scotch tape or something? I got crazy ears. I don't know what it is. How's that? Okay, I'm going to keep it up there. I'll talk like this. <laughs> so here's a really... So what I talked about is what it felt like to be part of a vision. And as I was talking, I'm sure all of you went to a place where I... I yeah, I, I know what you're talking... I know what you're talking about. Hey, I know. I know. So here is... A great biblical example and an easy definition of knowing your why. And it's from Paul. And um, I'll read a few verses and see if you can guess what his, what his uh, personal vision is. I do not account my life of any value if only I may finish my race to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. I wanted to be sure I was not running and I had not been running my race in vain, forgetting what's behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press towards the goal. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And look at this. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Run the race. And I don't think he I don't think he, he came up with that right away. At least he better not have. First time he spotted that off was in Acts twenty, so that's good. <laughs> because when I started really trying to figure out my why, it took me a long time. And something that's really frustrating the more work I do with this is that women seem to get it right away. <laughs> and guys have to go on this trek and this journey of visioning and finding ourselves. Women just say, well, I know what it is. It's just like this. And they probably know what yours is too. If you have a girlfriend or you're married or you got a mom, they know what it is. But they're wrong, right? I do it myself. So running the race, and this idea of what he was called to do was a way to keep himself checked. How am I doing? Am am I engaging that vision? And the most important thing about this vision statement is it's not what you're trying to become. It's who you are. 
in Christ. That's your vision statement. Not what you're trying to, and it's nothing wrong aspiring to become something, but it begins with who you are. Well, you forget all that. Who are you? Like this, you know, at, at this camp, I remember, you know, the maintenance guy, he, he says, you know, I'm not a speaker, I'm not of this, but he goes, you know, Jim, I can go up and I can fix things, and I just get a sense, and he is, and he's, for some reason, looked at problems before they happened, and he always knew when a camper needed a word of encouragement. That guy just touched so many, right? Run the race, fix the pipe, whatever it is. Next slide. So we want to look at alignment. And this is very, very important because when we look at our why, what, what does alignment mean? And I, and I use the, I got a picture of a spine right there. Because everyone, I'm sure everyone knows or has seen someone struggling with one disc just being a little out of alignment there. You ever had that, that, that blessing one morning? You really feel it. And when that alignment kicks out, we have two options. We begin to build a life um, to surround that misalignment. To cope with the pain, to disengage from the things that we wanted to do, and we build a life around that misalignment. And the other thing is, and it's, it's also pain, both are painful, by the way, and the other one is, is you go and you do the hard work, if you're able to, to bring that back into alignment. You get back up in your feet and engage the life that you're meant to live. When we look at biblical alignment, we're looking at aligning our lives with our purpose. And our purpose is deeply embedded in who you are, your identity in Christ. And when you step into who you are and your identity in Christ and you're able to engage in that in the smallest ways, it feels great. It is candy and you want some more. There is another one, another philosophy out there, and it's uh, very much pushed by the world. I think it's always been there. But the buzzword that they, they're using today is essentialism. And essentialism basically says if you're going to be living in alignment, if you're going to be living congruently, which is in alignment, with integrity, with honesty, you will, you will live according to your desires. Because if you really desire something, it's really what, what you're yearning, what you're really wanting. And I don't mean that in a good way. Just whatever you're desiring, if you deny that, you deny yourself. Right? And Jesus says, exactly. If you really want to come into alignment, you must pick up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. Jesus calls you on purpose not on desire. He will give you the desires of your heart, but there are some things that happen in between. There's a great verse here, when there is no vision, the people are unrestrained or cast off restraint. I don't know if you've ever been a part of something that was just humming. 
and you were humming along with it. And it was going in whatever your mission was, your God-given mission was, it was happening. I experienced that once as a lifeguard at a hotel pool. I really want to, no pun intended, make a big splash. Uh, by sharing my faith, I was fairly new to, to the Lord. And so I just, I just, I needed a way to engage people. So I just put, amazing lifeguard will answer all your questions. So of course, they're, they're being really smart aleck. Okay, how many stars are there? A lot. Am I wrong? Okay, so but through that, I got to know people and actually had an opportunity to lead uh, a couple of people to Christ. Got to engage my vision, right? And, um, and then I remember being a part of a ministry. Boy, we were making inroads in impact that I did not dream was possible. And I believe we came under a spiritual attack. The leader that we had was taken out and he was devastated. And it felt like everything we were doing turned into a jumbo jet that the next person flew right on the ground. And I cannot begin to tell you the extent of pain and anger. And we had no vision. And what I felt and what everyone felt like when you come to work, when we came to work, started to feel like work is, what are we even doing here? I mean, like, what's the point? We started disengaging. And I, and I got to a point where I was just standing there and I thought, I can't do this anymore. I just can't do this anymore. And you want to talk about a disc, not just a disc. I think my whole spine got kicked out of alignment. And all I wanted to do was just comfort that pain. And I didn't, if I went to church and I heard someone talking like me, you know, God loves you, he's got a plan for your life. I'm like, shut up. In a Christian way. In a Christian way. Shut up. That new life that Jesus gives you is really resilient, isn't it? It'll find a way. It'll find a way and bring you back. It's amazing that Jesus, in the height of his pain, uh, he's, an exa- he's obviously an example I'm not going to live up to. But when Jesus was at the height of his pain, he accomplished most of his mission. I love this one. But happy is the one who keeps the law. New Testament spin keeps walking under the grace of God. Okay? I remember being a part of a church that was new to the faith and loved this church and uh, the pastor got sidelined over a deep spiritual issue because the piano got moved from one side of the stage to the other without asking permission. Now these are deep spiritual things here. Right? Don't go messing with the piano. And um, they, it, it all untangled the thing and, and stuff blew up. Um, and, uh, you know, there was a lot of stuff going on I remember going for a meeting with an elder and, and, the, and the pastor that stayed behind and sparks were flying and we're, I think we're generating more heat than light in our discussion. And I came outside and this person's wife was just sitting there with a big smile on her face and I said, how can you be so happy? He goes, well, you know, because right now we were unrestrained, <laughs> I would say. And she says, you know what? I just know that God loves me and I know God has a plan for this and I'm just happy to be with it. I'm like, oh, Right? 
Isn't it amazing that even in those times when the world's falling around us, God has a place for us, doesn't he? I, one of my regrets is I've missed some of those opportunities. I've been in those doldrums. And I could have engaged God far more meaningfully, one-to-one, than I could have. And I, I just get this picture he had, like a table all set for me. He's like, Jim, Jim, you know, and it's like I got a photo text, missed a good party, you know. <laughs> I know he had the really good times for me. I've missed them. Don't want to miss them. Shifting to our why. Well, we all know what it's like. Hopefully, we all know what it's like to be in the doldrums. If not, I want to become your best friend and just draw from you. Jesus said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. If anyone's in marketing, I don't know how you'd spin that. I really don't, right? Hey, you want to. What's interesting is. Hundreds of years later, thousands and thousands of hours of research and millions of dollars in our best and brightest have concluded that God was right. This is from a book called The Power of Full Engagement. And they have always come across people, they say, you know, no matter what, these people are just living good lives universally. And they found the Jesus Principles. He said their why has shifted three important shifts. First of all, from negative to positive. Let me read you some quotes from this book. A negative source of purpose is defensive and deficit-based. It arises in the face of threat. When our purpose results from a sense of threat or deficit, it results in fear, control, and limiting what we can pay attention to because all your senses are shut off. You miss the opportunities. When we move from threat to a, or deficit-based reality to positive faith-based reality, this them saying that. Regardless of the challenge, we introduce a whole new range of possibilities in our lives. Wow. That's the unbelievers telling us this. <laughs> People don't know God telling us this. And then our motivation moves from external to internal. External motivation reflects the desire to get more of something that we don't feel we have enough of. Sometimes, have you ever signed up for something because you thought it would fill your needs? <laughs> Only to find out you were like twice as empty? See, as you're looking for partnering with your next uh, pastoral team, couple, whatever, you want to know who you are, and you don't want to be looking for someone that you're looking to to meet your needs. That's not a healthy relationship. You want to know who you are. And as a pastor who has gone through interviews, I want the congregation to know who they are and what they're wanting. Because then I know if I'm, a, if I'm a fit. We don't want to give your new pastor sticker shock. And finally, the focus goes from self to beyond self. And that can be frightening. Because when, when you're stepping out, you're, you're, you're shifting your focus. When our focus is on self, we're looking at things of how am I coming across? What are people thinking of me? 
and we're dealing with all those things. When you're moving your focus off yourself, oftentimes you're stepping out on the wire and you have to confront the fear of, oftentimes it's the fear of man, the fear of what people are thinking of you. You have to be willing to say people might come up and complain or hate what I'm doing or and when you're stepping out on your why, these are things that are most precious and close to you. Most wounding happens around our calling and our purpose. And when we're stepping out in the wire, it's like we're really putting our hearts out there. And when I was watching the worship team, I'm glad I can use you guys as an example. I know you're not the only ones, but I saw you. You're, putting it, you're stepping out in the wire this morning. You're putting it out there. Loved it. Now, drifting from our why, I'm going to spend a bit of time here. And we're going to wrap things up. Here's some symptoms of drifting from your why. Also, some of them are reminiscent of when you're moving towards it as well. But whatever you're doing, you're just asking yourself, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? What's the point? Where's all this even going? See, the danger of a church in transition is that the new leadership hasn't arised yet. And you know what the temptation is? Oh, why get too overcommitted? I don't know. We'll wait till a new person comes and get all figured out then. What happens, though, is we disengage from our why. And we begin to drift. And it's not static. It begins to erode. And even as leadership sometimes, um, you know, the lead team, whatever, I'm not, and I'm not saying you're doing that, I was actually quite thrilled with the energy in the room when we met. Uh, but it's also easy to say, well, yeah, we want to hold off, we don't know who the new person is yet, and, and we begin to disengage our why. And, and our why begins to erode. Where you want to be, trust me, think, think about this, if you were a pastor looking for a church, or even a church looking for a pastor, wouldn't you want your pastor to be fully engaged, like, I don't know who I am, I'm just kind of looking for a church to meet my needs, and da-da-da-da-da. Or don't you want your pastor saying, hey, I know who I am, this is how God's made me, this is, this is my calling. Don't you want to be ready for that? And it doesn't have to be super clear. Some of the best innovative ministries have started with people who had all passion, no skills, Brute strength and ignorance, and they created something beautiful. God just used it. Right? Oh, man. Next thing is our own needs can can eclipse our purpose. We can take a hit. We could suffer a loss, a betrayal, economic hardship, busyness, struggles or, or, or needs in the family And those personal needs can come up and they can begin to eclipse our calling. And I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying ignore it. But but I'm saying stay engaged with God in that. One of the the groups uh, I run, and I should say I'm privileged to be a part of his discipleship in the second half of life. And we notice that... Following Jesus isn't information that you learn. And once you've learned it, okay, you're fine. It's a relationship that's always changing. And I find that the more I've known Jesus, the more requiring he is 
He's very needy. <laughs> and it has taken me some very, very difficult places. I find he is far more passionate about his relationship with me than I am. With him. And he doesn't, doesn't, really, he doesn't really care about that. It's going to change his way. If me and Jesus have a disagreement, guess who's wrong? And we find that as we, as we continue in our relationship, a lot of discipleship has been geared to helping me serve but in a ministry, but not know how to really relate to God through the different seasons. If I can put it like this, it's when after everything you know and you've, you've got it all down and figured out, life happens. And you get to a point where you're not looking for answers anymore. You're just looking for honesty and authenticity and someone just to tell the truth. You're looking just to be understood. And we find that in this time where God's engaging us, God's moving into that pain. And boy, is he ever finding purpose. Can I tell you a really cool thing? This, this believing family, and they went through such a hardship, and their kids are, are, are super angry at God, and they're just disengaging. Like, it's too sensitive to even bring the topic of God up. And we're in this group, and she didn't need the right answer. She just needed to be understood. We're able to be so authentic and real with each other. And the word that came to her was, do you know, your relationship with your kids is the only church they need right now. And we all knew that was the Lord. We saw 2,000 pounds lift off her shoulders. You know, and just... God engaged her why in the time of her deepest needs. You know, probably some of the most amazing ministries come out of this season. One more quick story. Number, point number four, emotional discomfort and pain. A colleague of mine and I were doing this with a women's center, uh, women recovering from addictions. Whatever a couple of guys doing there, right? Anyways, God just opens doors. So we were, we were going through this. We were going through this and... Um, one of the gals who had just sort of worked through her addictions and was sort of in an interim staff position, because they do that, they mentor them. She looked and she said, oh my goodness, that's why I was using. And we just stopped, we looked at her and we said, what? She goes, yeah. Like, I was so ashamed of myself because I knew, you know, this, everything I was doing wasn't who I was. I was violating everything I believed in. I was violating all my own core values. And the pain that that was causing me was too much to live with. And Satan will want to take your worst moment and define you by it. Jesus, you know, Satan's version of a hypocrite is, and this is what he was laying on her, you hypocrite, how can you say you're going to get better? How can you go and do this? I can go pray to God and you do all this. Right? Ever felt that voice of encouragement? Jesus has a different version of hypocrisy. He goes, what are you doing all this stuff for? This is not who you are. Knock it off. You hypocrite. You're pretending to be something you're not in that pain. That's not who you are. That summer camp I was telling you about is so funny when we get to know all the people and all we hear is all this brokenness in their lives. And we're like, 
I should know the answer to this, but I was looking like, how can you guys come from this past and have all those wounds? You guys just look like you have it all together because in Jesus, that doesn't define you anymore. That's something. From him, the whole body grows and and builds itself up as each part does its work. Why it takes two. Let me go to the next one. Common myths about why, and I've touched on it, so a quick wrap-up. The most gifted pastor in the world, Jesus himself, being in this... How how, how about if you just got Jesus? Everyone else got pastor this and pastor. Jesus showed up in here. Uh, Guess what? If you're not going to engage your purpose and your identity in him, you're not going to be satisfied just by him being here. If you don't believe me, look in the Bible. Read the stories when people approached him. If you're coming for the wrong reasons, he will let you know. One thing that's interesting about God is he will not allow you to love him for something he's not. And he won't allow yourself to be loved for something you're not. He's going to love you for who you really are. And that hurts. Here's a great quote and something to keep in mind when you think about engaging your why. Those who know what they want can pursue it energetically. And those who have identified what moves them to wholehearted engagement have little trouble staying motivated. Isn't that a great quote? Let's do a little audit. And the only way you win is honesty. I um, was put these all on a sheet, and I thought, that's great, I'll give everyone a sheet, and I thought, oh, I don't have a photocopier. <laughs> so what I'm going to do is I'm going to send an electronic copy to Shirley, if that's okay, and she can print it out or just email it to you. Don't worry about remembering all the phrases. Remember what you think. Remember, just remember what God is stirring in your heart. So we just want to do a simple little test out of 10. And just remember your yeses. If it's a maybe, it's a No. If it's a yes, it's a yes. It's a solid. Let's just do a little audit. I know my why. Or, it's unclear, but I know I have one. I'm really excited. I don't know what to do, but I'm just really pumped. It's okay. And you're engaged. When I think about my why, the outlook is positive. I had a Palestinian speaker. They snuck him out. I don't know how his family was still there. There were Christians in a, in a huge, hugely upheaved area. And um, he was visiting us, and the guy was just glowing and beaming. Knowing he says, you know what, I might get back, and my family might get promoted to headquarters before I get home. And this is when the Gulf War broke out. Here's a Here's a heart. He says, uh, I know you guys are all looking for Saddam, for Saddam Hussein. I know you're all looking for Saddam. But I have to tell you, you may not find him because we're praying Jesus finds him before you do. Oh! <laughs> Busted. My outlook is positive. My fuel is internal. I just, it's coming from within. I'm not doing it for what I can get from it. 
And the focus is beyond self. It's, it's not about me. It becomes about me really easy, but when I'm engaging this, it's not about me. I have people who can call me out when I drift. I have a group of people. Some, I think Chris was talking about small groups, so keep this in mind. Think about this woman in our group last Sunday. Life falling apart. And she had a group she could be that honest with. And we were a group that we felt that comfortable to say, I think your relationships with your kids is the church your kids need right now. Do you have that group? Next six. Six six to ten. I know what my community's why is. Now that camp I was telling you about, I know what their why is, but I don't know what it is on written out. I can tell you what it is written out. But I know what it is. And if I can put it in my own words, rocking the world and saving every kid we can. (laughs) It's probably very much more complex and sophisticated, but I knew what it was. I know how my why fits into that. And if you haven't found out why, it may be just this. Or, I really want to know how my why can click in to this place here. I regularly engage my personal and community why. Be once a month. And I'm not just talking about coming to church, but you're really engaging. Once a week, every day, who knows? I know what threatens my why and what to do when that happens. And I believe. And I believe, for you, the best is yet to come. Does the worship team come up after this? I'm going to call the worship team up. If we go to the next slide, i got a little score up there. If you got 8 to 10, your why is alive and well, you're in really good health. Well done, you lucky bums. If you scored five to seven, your why is alive. Um, though it might need some work. Just maybe one or two areas. I got a text coming home um, just about this time last year. My wife and I were driving back from a place and um, text went off. I'm driving. My wife read it for me. She goes, oh, Jim, you got to hear this. It had been from someone I'd done some personal work with and it just said, thank you for being a part of God bringing my life back from the dead. Did you know all it took was? All right. It's usually not that big. It's usually little things. In Zerta 4, while this is why I am part of that group that I'm a part of, because my why needs encouragement and support. And if you need encouragement and support, I want to say I think you're in a good place. You should get together and build each other up. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for engaging our why, even though it hurts. Thank you. Thank you for a life and just for opportunities to become things that we never dreamed we could be. Just because we really don't, oftentimes we just don't know who we are in you. I pray, God, this church will continue to engage their why and they'll cultivate it at home. 
their day-to-day and when they come together. And they would realize that the community can't solve their why and they can't solve the community's why. Uh, They both have to engage on both levels. And um, I pray you'll work in that. I pray you'll prepare them uh, for uh, for the couple, for the people, uh, that will be that will be in their lives sometime, and that you'll prepare them. They won't rush ahead. Pray for Len and a blessing on him. I want to pray for uh, Kevin up here as he meets with these students. And I understand that fear, Lord. And I just pray that your perfect love would just dispel that fear in the moment. And for everyone else, you in big and small ways, even if it's just changing our kids' diapers, we're engaging our why in Jesus' name. If you want to follow up, if something spoke to you this morning, love to talk to you. And uh, we'll be back again. God bless you.